What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's me, Alicia Kettle. But everyone calls me Plum because I'm succulent and round, also known as fat. It's okay. I'm allowed to say it. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. And listeners, we missed you. We are so pumped to be back in the studio. So pumped that we're kicking off season four with a two-parter, an Unladylike detox. Yes, because it's January, and I gotta tell you, Caroline, after a holiday's worth of hearing about Weight Watchers being rebranded as WW or Wellness That Works, or seeing Peloton commercials every five seconds on Hulu, oh God, I could use a mental cleanse from it all. Yeah, but not like that lemon juice cayenne pepper concoction that people talk about. No, no. I'm talking about a diet culture detox. I mean, dieting is one of the most ladylike expectations out there. Today, 40% of women report feeling like they're always dieting or are constantly concerned about their weight. And even with the Teflon coating of feminism and body-inclusive insta-feeds, all the goal weight setting and shape-shifting, I mean, it's tough to resist sometimes when I look in the mirror. No, totally. Same here. And we know it's on y'all's minds, too. I mean, a listener email is what kicked off this entire two-parter. And we'll be hearing about that next week and taking a closer look at that culture part of diet culture. But first, Kristen, we need to get pumped up. We need an unladylike role model for what a truly body-positive pop culture star could look and sound like. We need Joy Nash. Like, when I think about anger around dieting, I think about how angry people get when they learn that you aren't dieting. Actor Joy Nash does not have weight loss goals. She's fat, feminist, and killing it in America's body-shaming capital, Hollywood. She recently starred in the AMC drama Dietland. Which was unfortunately canceled. But y'all, Joy Nash is not canceled. Today, we're going to hear about how she landed this breakout role, her inborn rebellion against diet culture, and what it really means to claim her space and be seen. All to find out what happens when we give a middle finger to bullshit body standards and start losing a different kind of weight. The waiting for our lives to begin once we look a certain way. (laughs) 
Joy Nash is a force of nature. And as y'all will come to learn, she's a grown-ass, self-assured smasher of diet culture patriarchy. She's also human, which is to say, Joy hasn't been, like, magically immune from fatphobic claptrap, even if her upbringing did give her a bit of a buffer. I grew up in Redlands, uh, California, Southern California. I was super involved with the church, my parents' church, and um, I, I didn't know anything different. I didn't know that there were, like, other possibilities available. I'm, I'm very curious, too, about your religious upbringing because it, it reminds me of my own. Um, oh, does I was, it? Uh, yeah, I was homeschooled by very Christian parents. I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music. Um, I had to sneak MTV, things yep. like that. Yep. And I'm wondering for you, like, in terms of pop culture as a girl— whether there was sort of an upside at all to being sort of protected from any of those like types of body negative messages that girls are kind of constantly bombarded with. Yeah. And I wonder if you see an upside at all to to some of that religious sheltering. Definitely. We we had a television set, but it was a portable TV that my mother would hide every time she left the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't even, like, I wasn't even babysat by the TV or anything. You know, we didn't go to movies. We didn't have cable. Um, it was like, like books were my best friends. But Joy's mom wasn't hiding the TV to shield Joy from unrealistic body standards. In fact, the brunt of the negative body messages Joy grew up with were already coming from inside the house. Yeah, specifically from her mom. So I had this really contentious relationship with my mom always, since I can remember. And um, she was a dieter and not happy with my body and probably her own as well. And I didn't like her. So it was a form of rebellion for me to not hate myself, if that makes sense at all. Like, yeah. a, a really great way to get her goat was not to agree with her that I sucked. <laughs> So I feel like that really saved me from a lot of things because I personally have not spent a lot of time in my life dieting. Um, from middle school, when my mom would say things like, whoever loses five pounds first gets a prize, I'd be like, go ahead, have fun. Good for you. I'm not interested. I'm not willing to play that game. My mom gave me similar messages when I was younger. I'm the youngest of five. And um, as she explained to me one year, my older, thinner sister uh, just has a higher metabolism, Kristen, which means you can't snack as often between meals. Hmm. Really unhealthy messages uh, <laughs> to give a girl. And I wish that I'd pulled a Joy Nash and <laughs> said, Mom, that's a bunch of nonsense. Um but I didn't. I like was like, okay, well, if this will, if this is what I'm, how I'm supposed to look. Okay, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering what you think it is that almost allowed you to resist that pressure. I don't know. I I've been talking about this with my therapist as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like my mother has always said, you've been rebellious since day one, strong-willed. And that was something she hated, but I wore it like a, a mantle of victory, you know? Like, I took that on as part of my identity. Like, yes, no one tells me what to do. Um, 
I, I played a bunch of sports. I had a paper route where I was riding my bicycle and throwing newspapers for an hour and a half every single day. I was an active kid, and I I, I wasn't overeating. I wasn't eating lots of, you know, whatever junk food. We never went to McDonald's. And you're telling me that I, I should be doing something extra, even eating even less? I don't – that doesn't make sense to me. I don't think so. What did make sense to Joy was acting. For her, it was a way to safely take up space by performing as anyone and everyone but herself. What drew me to acting was the ability to to not have to choose, to get to be a murderer and a mother and an astronaut and a doctor, all, all maybe all in the same time. Um, <laughs> I remember I spent a lot of time, like, in the newspaper there was a magazine called Parade. Do you remember this? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it would have—there was a section called Teen Voices. <laughs> it had, like, little— blurbs like there would be some question and then a whole bunch of teenagers would answer it and they would have a picture of them and then like in their own words they'd answer this question and I just remember like creating a whole world for each of those and reading each one in a different voice and being really excited to be all these different people. So I'm curious were you sort of an out there extroverted performative kid? No. <laughs> Probably things would have been a lot easier if I was. I I was still really shy, and I don't know. It wasn't until probably like middle school, high school, when I finally just actually no. I remember it was a, it was in a an acting class in high school. We had to do monologues, and um, we had to volunteer to go. And I was not going to volunteer, and the entire class went. And finally, I had to go because I was the only one left, and um. I did, and it went really well. And this girl, who I really respected, said, if that's what you're sitting on, what the hell took you so long? Oh. Whoa, that. were you in class with Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> right? That really, like, shook me up, and, and it, like— because it was, it is kind of a selfish thing to, to have something and not to share it. Um. I'm getting emotional, <laughs> but but that's hard. It, like, it, I mean, it, it's something I still struggle with. It's it's a lot easier to sit and hope and and pray that you'll be selected, but that's probably not going to happen. You got to raise your hand and make it happen. And thanks to that inborn rebellious streak that Joy talked about, that's exactly what she did. According to my doctors, I'm moderately obese. If you ask the fashion industry, I barely deserve to be allowed to wear clothing. And I'm definitely, definitely fatter than the girl who should not be wearing that. This is a clip from a video Joy posted to YouTube in 2007. It's called Fat Rant. I'm fat, and it's okay. It doesn't mean I'm stupid, or ugly, or lazy, or selfish. I'm fat. The vast majority of the time, I don't let the tiny little minds get me down. It happens a lot. I hear someone talking about 200 pounds. Like it's breathtaking. I weigh 224 and my quality of life has not suffered dramatically. Fat! It's three little letters. What are you so afraid of? Fat Rant was a monologue that I wrote while I was in college. It was inspired, actually, by my best friend who who had brain cancer. Um, and as she was, like, losing ability and shriveling and dying, I was really angry that I would hear people, and, and myself included, say there were things that we couldn't do because of our bodies. Oh, I can't wear a tank top. My arms are so gross. I'm not going to 
take a trip. I, I look terrible in a bathing suit. Like, bullshit. Um, when my friend here is is losing all this ability and would drop anything to do any of those things. In no, like, it just made me really angry. After she graduated from college, Joy decided to let her anger loose. She got a friend to film Fat Rant, posted it on YouTube, and then it went viral. The New York Times, the L.A. Times, and TV morning shows all interviewed Joy about the video. I felt a bit, too, that that suddenly I was expected to be um, like a talking head, like a pundit. And I'm not built for that. I'm not a, a debater. I'm not good on my feet. Um, and so I kind of backed off from all of it because I didn't know what to do with it. I wanted to be an actress and people were like, that's great. But, you know, tell me about the medical statistics on blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did it feel like almost a responsibility being imposed on you, like kind of like too much? Maybe. Yeah. That was a big Thing I have learned from this past experience that to get comfortable moving from like an observer to the observed because when you're number one on a TV show somebody is always looking at you always so how did Joy go from YouTube monologuer to being number one on a prestige TV show we're spilling the Hollywood secrets after the break We're back with actor and unladylike role model Joy Nash. It's pretty clear from talking with Joy and watching Fat Rant that Joy isn't ashamed of her size, even though for most of her acting career, it meant she didn't get the headliner roles. So I've I've always been ballpark this size, and I've always played grandmothers, and like I've never been an ingenue. Although playing characters who aren't the center of attention does have some benefits. It's like you're the curmudgeon, you're the hag, you're the etc. So who cares what you look like, really? And I and I liked that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like maybe there was something a little liberating. I mean, because you're playing yeah. different characters right. and taking on these other roles. Yeah, it wasn't so much about being a beautiful girl. It was about being interesting or talented or, mm-hmm. you know, a- a- engaging in a different way. Joy's is not an overnight success story. She has tons of acting credits, but most of them are indie projects and bit roles. You might have seen her, for instance, in an episode of The Mindy Project, where she plays a pregnant patient Mindy has to tell to lose weight, which is apparently the whole joke of the episode. And it was another five years before she booked a bigger, radder role on Twin Peaks in 2017. In the meantime, Joy worked all sorts of non-acting jobs, including as a fit model for a plus-size clothing brand. And my personal fave as a pet photography assistant. Hmm. But when Joy discovered the role of Plum, it changed everything. I mean, Plum in Dietland is the first time I've ever played a character quite like that, that, that for all intents and purposes, is the ingenue, is, like, the one you're supposed to care about. Dietland, the show, is based on a novel with the same name by Sarai Walker. And Walker, who is also fat, said she was inspired to write it after watching Fight Club and wanting a feminist take. 
And the show sticks pretty close to Walker's original, especially when it comes to her protagonist. Plum Kettle is a fat woman who works as an executive assistant for this fictional teen mag called Daisy Chain. Essentially, she's like a ghostwriter for this super thin, youth-obsessed editor named Kitty. And she's tasked with answering all of the angsty questions that Kitty gets from the magazine's teen girl readership. Dear Kitty, my boyfriend made me have sex when I didn't want to. Should I break up with him? Dear Kitty, what are these gross red bumps on my arms? How do I get rid of them? Dear Kitty, all the girls in your magazine are so skinny. Some girls are so lucky. Never do dairy. The story starts with an unhappy, unfulfilled plum on a really bleak diet. She's working to lose a little weight before getting gastric bypass surgery. After the surgery, when I was thin, I wouldn't even be plum. My name would be Alicia. And I'd burst out of my sad diorama into a big, sexy life. Basically, Plum's waiting for life to begin once she has this smaller, idealized body. But the path she's on forks very unexpectedly when she meets some pretty radical oddballs. But in order for Joy, the actress, to become this ingenue, she had to take her own advice and raise her hand. A few times. So it was kind of, it was a bit of a long con. Among Joy's many side hustles, for a while in her 20s, she worked for a friend who was a talent agent. So that meant Joy had the password to this database that has, like, all the roles currently being cast in Hollywood. Eventually, Joy and her friend left the agency. But nobody ever changed the passwords. So for about five years, I would log in and just see what was happening and just not, not you know, submit anything, but I was accessing the information. And one day, it came across a project called Dietland, and they were casting a character called Plum, um, who was, you know, in her 30s. She was a writer. She's smart. She's 250 pounds. Um, that's what the listing said. And I was like, oh, my God, I could do this. Uh, so it had the, the casting office listed. So I wrote down all this information, and then I went there. And You just showed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't a casting office. It was a UPS mailbox center. So I was thwarted <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, but I, I was not going to be thwarted. I didn't give up. Joy Googled around and found another address. And this one was a legit office. So she drove over and knocked on the door. And the girl on the other side I'd met at a party maybe four years earlier. She'd gone to grad school with two of my best friends. And she's like, oh, Joy, you know, you might be good for this. And I thought, that's what I thought. And I pull out my headshot. (laughs) And that's when she said, have you read the book? And I said, no. And she's like, you really should. So I drove straight to the library. I checked it out, read it that night unlike anything ever that I'd read before. And um, I was like, I've got to audition. I, I still thought there was no chance because I, I couldn't even, it's, it's, people talk about like rejection. It's so difficult getting rejected. I couldn't get rejected because I couldn't get <laughs> effing auditions. So anyway, <laughs> I tell this girl, um, I say, I, I, I know I'm not going to get a, an audition slot, so I'm going to make you a tape. I'm going to make a video of myself and submit it. What's my deadline for that? And she said, you're definitely getting a slot. And I thought, okay. Uh, and she says, you know, I don't have all the info yet, but uh, it'll probably be Friday. If not, then Monday. 
Joyce still had that password handy from her agent friend, so she went online and logged in and downloaded the audition materials in advance. And what does Joy Nash do, Caroline? She prepares. She memorized three scenes, practiced them for days with her friends, and it was a good thing that she did. Sure enough, Friday at 8.30, I get a text. Joy, you know, you've got an audition at noon. It's 16 pages. Good luck. <laughs> I was like, you're fucking lucky that I that I went ahead and got ready three days ago. Because otherwise, like, 16 pages in, in three hours is a lot to ask from somebody. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just a smidge. I mean, but I also, I love that how doggedly you were pursuing <laughs> Plum. Like, you were literally knocking on Opportunity's door, like, at that office. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just felt like somebody needs to see me. You just need to lay your eyes on me. Whether you like it or not, that's that's none of my business. But if you haven't seen me, you can't reject me. So you said that Dietland was unlike anything you'd read before. How so? Um, It was about a fat person who goes on a journey and goes through a transformation, and it doesn't involve her losing weight. I'd never seen that before. (laughs) I mean, even, like, I'm thinking of In Her Shoes. Do you remember that book? I think it was Jennifer Weiner. She goes through a journey. It's a beautiful love story, and then she loses weight at the end. It's, It's, like, not presented as the goal, but it's a byproduct that she's finally happy, and so her body finally matches that, quote-unquote. But Dialand wasn't like that. And it was I was just shocked that I'd never read anything like that. One thing that I heard in an interview you gave was that maybe for the the final audition, you in preparation, you went out and bought kind of plums clothes and sort of embodied her for a little while. And I'm curious what that was like. It was super informative for me (laughs) Um, because I don't dress the way that Plum does. I like bright colors. I like interesting shapes. I like big prints. I have bright red hair usually. (laughs) Um, Like I'm not hiding. Um, And Plum is just the opposite. Like she's waiting for life to begin and that will be when she's thin. And in the meanwhile, she's not going to invest in anything bright or flashy or tight or anything. So I went to um, Blaine Bryant and I bought an outfit, which was like this, you know, long shapeless black skirt and a big blousey top. And then I went in with, you know, no makeup, my hair in a bun. And before the audition, I was walking around the neighborhood. I actually went to the grocery store to kill some time. And um, people treated me differently. I, Joy, walk down the street and I look at people in the face and they look me back, whether they're smiling or not. They see me. Um, But dressed in that outfit, I felt close to invisible. Like, I wouldn't look at people in the face. And um, at the last second, I'd kind of check them, like clock them. (laughs) And um, they would definitely not be looking at me. And, like, it was it was a weird feeling. In the show, like, Plum goes from wearing a lot of that, like, floor-length, shapeless, like, monochromatic stuff to all of a sudden she's walking out of a store in, like, a skirt and some crazy tights and, like, a yeah. band t-shirt and stuff like that. So how did that feel both as you, Joy, the actress, doing that and changing that up? And, and what did that mean for the audience to see Plum that way? Ah, it felt so good. (laughs) Um, It it just felt like like I could take a sigh of relief. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I felt like I was hiding in, in all those layers and the dark colors and everything. I, I remember I would ride to work in the mornings in basically like sweats with no makeup and my hair down, but but as myself. Um, and then I'd get to the set. We'd go through hair and makeup, and then I'd uh, be wearing my wig and my outfits. I would pass the driver who I spent like an hour with first thing this morning, and he wouldn't recognize me. Like, I said hello, and he kept walking. <laughs> and it happened with, like, two or three different people. Um, so it felt really good to, like, shed some of that and uh, to, like, be cl- uh, closer to myself. But then in certain ways, too, I, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I, I just love that character so much. Um, I, j- the journey that, like, as she's, like, exploring her feelings for the first time, um, that suddenly it's it's she's more vulnerable like she's taken off the the shell she was wearing and and now it's it's a little more dangerous because people can see who she is and it, like if they make a comment it's going to hurt a lot more cuz it's about the truth do you relate to that vulnerability uh yeah <laughs> yeah big time the set it was such a safe place to shed everything and to be completely honest so it didn't feel dangerous, like like life and death dangerous, like it might in real life. But I'm really proud of what we got to make together. Now, Caroline, taking the kind of leap Joy is talking about, of letting your true self show and be seen, and on national television, no less, I mean... That's pretty hard to do in real life. Luckily for Joy, she's got that rebellious streak to help her out, and she knows firsthand that life is just too short to care about bullshit body standards. And she's got another important F word in her back pocket, and it's the same one that helps plum kettle and diet land, too. We'll tell you all about it after the break. Who benefits, do you think, from keeping women shrinking and keeping women on that diet culture hamster wheel? The patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) You win a prize. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're back with our unladylike role model and all-around crush, Joy Nash. And when we left off, we mentioned this mysterious F word that helped both Joy and plum. And judging by her prize-winning answer to that question you just heard, y'all might have already guessed. It's feminism. At the beginning of Dietland, you know, Plum is convinced that life is only going to begin like once she's thin and she even personifies this fantasy thin self as Alicia. And it's like a whole other character in the book. And then feminism, though, rolls in and kind of blows the whole fantasy up. And we were curious to know whether feminism played a similar role for you, Joy, in terms of flipping off the body patriarchy. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, for me, like I said, I I hadn't dieted so much, but I definitely was waiting for life to begin. And I thought that that would be once I'm in a in a great relationship when you know when I find some man to love me, or once I become an actress, <laughs> uh, like what then life will really start once I hit these things. And um, I think it was like feminism that gave me the the like gumption to make it happen on my own, to make myself happy, to love myself, to go out and make myself an actress. Um, if if nobody's gonna look at me, I'm gonna effing effing fucking make them look at me. <laughs> Joy's feminist gumption felt totally at home on the Dietland set because, unlike most Hollywood sets. It was largely run by women, including female executive producers, a female showrunner, assistant director. And Joy told us that Dietland's director, Marty Knoxon, played a huge role as well in making that set feel like a safe space, not just for women to, you know, go to their jobs every day, but for women to create radical stories about women together. At one moment in the first episode, Plum says that she's fat, but don't worry, I can say that. And I think that that immediately gets to this, like, lingering discomfort that, like, people might not even give a voice to it of being uncomfortable with that word, not just, like, the concept or the actual literal cells on our bodies. But I'm curious how you felt Dietland dealt with the, the word and the concept of fat that might be different from other projects you've seen or worked on. Um, I I liked how how they were dealing with it. Um, I I I think you're right that from that first moment, it's it's a, just a little red flag that this is not like other things you've seen. Um, yes, I'm fat. Yes, we understand. Let's move on. Let's keep going. You don't need a, a euphemism unless what you're talking about is so terrible it can't be named. And fat isn't. It's just it's a physical aspect. And the novel and TV show don't just take on what the characters call the dissatisfaction industrial complex lobbed at women and girls. Yeah, the leading on ladies of Dietland also are fed up with the manifold ways that patriarchy non-consensually fucks with our bodies and the powerful men who uphold the system. One uh, quote from Dietland author Sarai Walker uh, that jumped out to us was people find happy, fat women threatening. Hmm. And would you would you agree with that? And if so, why is that? I I do agree with that. Um I think that we're threatening because we aren't we don't need anyone. <laughs> uh like I think about I think about me before I made a choice to like have this be me. <laughs> I was a lot more uh, apologetic. Like I just took up less space. I wouldn't speak up. I maybe it's like taking up space and like owning your piece of the pie. It, it's in no sense. It can make other people feel like there's less for them. And if you're like expanding and and like claiming your space. It can make people unhappy. It's interesting you said that you made that choice to love and respect your body and the space that you took up. Was that choice made kind of when you were making the fat rant? Like kind of when was that choice made? 
in, in a way, it's ongoing. It's always happening. <laughs> but the first the first time it happened, I think I am um, I came across Marilyn Wan's book Fatso, and it really kind of parted the curtains for me. And I and then I went through the I went to the library and I went through the bibliography in her book and I checked out all the books in that bibliography and then all the books in those bibliographies and it was it was it was like the original falling down the internet rabbit hole except I did it in an <laughs> actual library. Um yeah and I a huge thing for me was um I had the internet for the very first time in college, and uh, I didn't have it at my house before then. And I remember finding people's GeoCities homepages. Do you remember? Oh my those? god, yes. Yeah, and there was the, I. I came through this like web ring of fat women, <laughs> and they had guest books that were filled with compliments from men, like uh, totally cute, handsome guys who were totally into these girls. And I was shocked and angry that I was 18 and no one had ever suggested to me that someone might like me not in spite of, but because of the way that I looked. I was pissed. (laughs) Well, and now it it does make me wonder whether... Do you think that girls are having those kind of moments and realizations almost a little more like baked in or at least coming to those realizations earlier thanks to Instagram and like all of the all of the imagery now like it's not hard now to find yeah Um, I think it's so much easier it's just everywhere and like you don't have to look at a whole bunch of models who make you feel bad about yourself you can look at a bunch of plus-size models who make you want to buy the clothes that they're wearing and maybe you'll feel bad that you can't afford them but whatever (laughs) Is it possible, do you think, for our culture to kick our dieting addiction? Or is it simply too profitable for patriarchy to ever let go of? Um, I don't know, but I, I want to try. I'm going to act like it is possible because that's the world I want to live in. <laughs> so what advice do you have for listeners who maybe do feel trapped in that, like, waiting for life to begin feeling? I think, like, a small, important step, I think is, like, as you're saying it, I'm thinking, I need to clean up my closet because my body has changed in the last two years, and I have things that uh, I'm like, oh, well, doesn't doesn't quite fit, and I I just need to clear those out and move move it on. Growing up, I saved everything. I saved all of my tests, like every essay that I'd written. Um, And it wasn't until I got rid of that shit that I think I became a person that somebody might be interested in. Is it like live today, like you're never going to fit back into your skinny jeans? Yeah. Because the thing is, when you, if you do lose weight, those jeans are out of style. You don't want them anyway. (laughs) It's true. That's so real. But, you know, it sounds like when uh, what you're talking about, getting rid of those essays, for instance, which I'm like, oh, God, I'm thinking about my parents' basement right now. <laughs> but uh, it, like, forces you to flex your identity almost. Yeah. Like, who, who am I without the literal and figurative baggage? Yeah. Sort totally different, but maybe in the same vein. I I had a couple years ago, I had a couple surgeries. And um, the night before the first one, I was like, oh, 
I don't have any scars and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have all these scars. Fuck you, Joy. Who the hell do you think you are? Am I going to not have um, these things fixed because I am afraid of a scar? Like, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? So we also have to ask about the cancellation of Diet Land. Oh, yeah. um, how, especially given the context that the show came out in when it really felt like it was echoing the Me Too movement and women just being generally fed the fuck up, it felt like such the right time for the show. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on it not being renewed. Hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's yeah, cuz it did feel like it was the perfect time. But for the moment, it looks like the doors have closed for Dietland, but I think that the tide is changing. Like I've been watching so many shows with fat protagonists. I'm so excited about this shit. Dumplin just happened. Oh my god. Right. Shrill is so coming good. out soon. <gasps> That's right. Oh, yeah. That's and even uh, Danielle McDonald's last movie Patty Cakes was amazing. It's mm. it's it feels like a tide has turned. Like like when I was mm. coming up, I mean, I felt like I had to wait until I was in my 30s before I was going to have a role that that I could sink my teeth into. Um, because I, like I said, was never an ingenue, you know, like I was always playing a woman of authority and, uh, it's really exciting to see that that's different now. And I'm excited to see what some writers think up for us. Well, Joy, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to Caroline and me. Thank you so much for having me. What a gem. Can I just say, I mean, what a joy, what a gem. Oh, yes, what a joy. And I know that joy was anti-diet culture from the get-go, you know? But I still feel like there's a ton of inspiration we can take from her story. Absolutely, because what have we learned? We have learned to live every day like we're never going to fit in our skinny jeans again. We learned to stop waiting for our lives to begin until we've like achieved some idealized version of ourselves, whether that's some idealized shape or relationship or job. And we also learned that if we want to ditch diet culture, we got to embrace the feminist rebellion. Oh, and don't forget, watch Dietland if you want to ditch some diet culture. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. It's on Hulu. But y'all, we know it's much easier said than done to ditch losing the weight and start losing that waiting like we talked about. That's why next week we're going to get down and dirty and real deep on some diet claptrap. Yeah, and we're also going to hear from the gal who inspired this whole two-parter in the first place. My mom got gastric bypass surgery, dropped a lot of weight, and went from being someone who was embarrassed in public, didn't really talk to many people, to being someone who was loud, excited, happy, screaming at sports games. And seeing that really highlighted to me that the only way that you could live a happy life was if you were smaller. And y'all, if you aren't already subscribed to Unladylike, what are you waiting for? Do it now so you don't miss next week's episode. 
Meanwhile, we'd love to hear from you, especially around these issues of dieting, feminism, weight loss, and all of the wellness washing that seems to be happening. I mean, is it just us or could you use a mental detox as well? And also, what kinds of conversations around body positivity do you think that feminism isn't addressing well enough? We'd love to hear your thoughts and experiences. You can email us at hello at unladylike.co or find us on social at unladylike media. And don't forget to head over to our website, unladylike.co, to not only get the notes and sources for this episode, but to also do a couple of fun things. You can subscribe to our newsletter to get actually good news about women in your inbox every Wednesday, but you can also order some Unladylike merch. Y'all, we've added t-shirts, sweatshirts, and yes, koozies to our store. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Gianna Palmer is our editor. Ash Sanders transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Special thanks to Kristen Torres and also to Kim Smith for connecting us with her pal, Joy Nash. Thanks so much, Kim. And we are your hosts. Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. We are back for season I'm four. Caroline. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <sighs> oh, it's like first day back. <laughs> Everyone's talking over each other. Hey, y'all. You know what? I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) That last one was a joke. Stitcher. 